G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode, I was absolutely stoked to be able to finally connect with long-time online friend uh, and Canadian occupational therapist Megan Harris. Late last year, Megan had a rather traumatic accident and is currently going through the rehab process uh, as a result of that accident. So I, I asked if she'd be willing to, to come and have a chat and kind of explore that rehab process and from an occupational lens and how things have changed and that kind of stuff. And I'm forever grateful that she was willing to, to come and have a chat because I think uh, her insights are invaluable. Her positivity is in absolutely infectious. And I really hope you guys love this episode as much as I do. So how are you? I'm doing not too bad. I'm just, uh, you know, rehabbing. I'm still off of work. Yep. So uh, I was just at physio today for a couple of hours. And then now I'm. it's going to be the weekend here. So that'll be fun. But yeah, mostly because I'm, I'm still off work, most of my days are kind of I go to physio three times a week yep. um, for about two hours. And then sometimes I have some other random appointments and then I try to like go and do some things out of my house and see people or do some errands as I, I think I'm getting closer to um, figuring out kind of a plan for returning to work. Yep. I'm thinking through the summer or heading into our fall in September, that'll be kind of the the uh, goal. But the we haven't uh, haven't fully discussed it with the insurance company and stuff yet. So you know how fun that is the whole <laughs> yes the old, to work, the old gradual return to work. So but you're just trying to keep you're still busy a, with you're still things. a key creative. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm on a medical leave right now from. From, from work there, but I'm still in touch with the team and stuff. I, I stopped in last month to say hi, which was nice. And then um, I see some coworkers here and there outside of just, just for fun. Yep. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been there now. I can Well, t- September I can would have that. been four years for me. You've at- been there four years and seven months, according to your LinkedIn. Oh yes. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like, so I, I started with Key um, right after I graduated and I haven't, haven't left. So <laughs> it's obviously a good place to be. Yeah, it's a, it's a really awesome, sweet, sweet team. Um, lots of really awesome OTs, speech path. We have a couple of physios, uh, human ecologist, which I am still learning. What is that? Yeah. I'm still learning about what they do, but Deanna does a lot of, uh, she supports with a lot of our communication stuff and intakes and she's kind of a, I don't know. She's a jack of all trades. She's got all kinds of skills, but I think in true human ecology, they study like human behavior in okay. different ways. So she's, I think her, uh, her focus in her degree was on like family sy- family systems 
family okay. dynamic. Yeah. Cool. And what? I don't know who else we have, but they've been great. They made me like the cutest uh, scrapbook while I was in the hospital. And I, I uh, video conferenced in a couple of times just to say hi and, and stuff. And I'll be looking forward to going back there once I'm all ready to go to work. Sounds awesome. I'm actually so, talking to John John tomorrow. Oh, really? I texted him and told him that I was uh, going to be chatting with you. Like, I'm going to be talking with Brock. Like, is it cool if we talk about my work and stuff? Just so he knew and wasn't like, what's this random yeah. podcast that has my company being like featured in it? <laughs> so are you okay talking about what happened? And Oh, Yeah. For sure. You just like tell me where to start and just very curious as to, you know, your experience of the whole process and that kind of thing. So what well, I guess we start with what actually happened. Why did you and you mentioned you're in hospital. Why did we why did that happen? Why were you in um, hospital? <laughs> yeah, so this past spring, I I've always been a, like a competitive athlete. I grew up um doing figure skating and competing competitively in track and field. I ran as a varsity athlete um, at university when I was doing my undergraduate degree. And um, since I graduated from my undergrad and was heading into grad school to be an OT, I decided to quit track and field. And um, kind of over the last, I would say, six years, I was trying to find a new way to exercise and to, uh, I guess, just have sport more as leisure as opposed to uh, the identity of being a competitive athlete. That is a very interesting transition to make in itself. Um, and so over the the last couple of years, I've dabbled in like different activities, found some things that I enjoyed. Um, but this past spring, I came across a, a cycling group um, and the shop is just down the street from my house. So I had happened upon the store and got talking with some of the guys and and they encouraged me to come out and, and try it with uh, my athletic history. and. I really, really loved it. Um, so I was just kind of getting into this new sport and athletic sort of. So this is road, road cycling. Road cycling, yeah. 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 So um, I did like a learn to ride group in the summer or in the spring where they taught us like the rules of, of cycling on the road. Um, there's different like hand signals and stuff. Uh to communicate with the other riders, like the different safety kind of things to learn um, when you're riding in a group. Cause we would go on uh, these long rides that were about anywhere from 40 to 80 kilometers Yep. Um, in the rural, rural roads outside of the city that I live in. Um, so I had taken up cycling in the spring and had been really enjoying it, met a really cool group of people, super awesome community. Um, and then it was in the middle of August, we were on one of our normal 
Saturday morning uh, group rides. We would meet at the shop at nine o'clock in the morning and ride out to uh, a town just outside of Edmonton, the city that I, I live in. And we would stop to have coffee at the Starbucks and then <laughs> ride back into the city. Um, and so we were only about, I would say maybe like 15 kilometers into the ride. And um, our group got, I was riding with 15 other people that day and uh, we got hit by a truck. So yeah, we were on a road that was like leading out of the city that can sometimes be like a little bit of a busier road, but that morning it was very, there was not a lot of traffic or anything and we were riding the way that we were supposed to be, but yeah. Yeah, we don't know exactly what happened, but um, I was in the back of the group. We were riding. When you ride in a group, you most of the time ride in pairs. Yep. Um, and so I was at the back of the group, and basically it was like a big pickup truck um, somehow like hit the back of our group. And so I... Uh, Went flying 40 feet through the air and landed on the ground. And I don't remember any of that. Um, but I remember waking up at the scene of the accident and then uh, being taken in the ambulance to the hospital. So, so was it, like, it wasn't just you that got hit, though? It was No, there was. So in the group of 15 people, there were... Uh, five of us that were injured enough to get sent to hospital. And I think there was eight people in total. So there were a couple other people who had some more minor injuries that were um, just treated kind of and, and ended up going home. But uh, yeah, five of us got sent to hospital. I myself was in the hospital for the longest. So I was in, I spent three and a half weeks on the trauma unit at the university hospital. And then I, got transferred to the local rehabilitation hospital where I spent also about three and a half weeks. So for a total of just under two months, I was in the hospital from August 11th to October the 5th or 6th, I think, or beginning, beginning of October. And, then, so, and you don't know why this person? Just- no, we don't. So they're in the midst of figuring things out, but uh, I'm, I would imagine it was distracted driving of some kind, obviously, but, uh, the person, yeah, the person did it. stop. They didn't just like drive away or anything. <laughs> they didn't just like drive away or anything. They stopped. No, no. They stopped okay. at the scene and, and, uh, were, were helpful and I don't know, uh, gave all the information and stuff and yep. then the RCMP and whatnot, like there are, uh, police took over. Um, so yeah, eventually we might find out more, but, um, yeah, it, it's one of those kind of random, seemingly random, crazy situations that just happen. And so, yeah, it was, it was not, not ideal, but I've managed to, uh, recover really well, um, from the, from the accident, I guess. So, so so what, what 
sort of injuries did you end up with? What did I have? Okay, so I, I, I think the census is a long list just by the look on your face. <laughs> yeah, a little bit <laughs> of a long list. All right, everyone, brace so yourselves. <laughs> I, I fractured um, in my thoracic vertebrae. I fractured T4 to T11. So All T4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I think maybe 9 and 10 were okay and T11. Um, I fractured my – I had a – a pretty badly displaced collarbone fracture that required um, a plate and screws in my right collarbone. Now I had a fractured right scapula, some fractured ribs. I had a really big um, laceration to my right calf that kind of like go like spirals around my leg. I like to tell people that I got bit by a shark because it kind of looks <laughs> like it could have, <laughs> even though we're in Canada and we don't have sharks here. Just That's my, uh, tell them you were somewhere tropical where there's lots of sharks and yeah. So I had to have that surgically, um, repaired it. They initially thought maybe it would need skin grafting, but they didn't end up having to do that. They just stitched it all up and cleaned it up. And then, I had uh, injuries to both of my kidneys and my liver. And so one of my kidneys, I had a surgery done um, to put like this little tiny coil thing in that blocks like a, a, I think it blocked one of the renal arteries to stop uh, internal bleeding. So that'll just, I got to see the radiology scan of that, which was really cool because it looks like this tiny little slinky thing that's just like in one of my blood vessels and it'll just stay there for forever, um, which is interesting. And then I had a contusion and subarachnoid hemorrhage to my spinal cord at the C2 level. Um, So I ended up when I was first admitted to the hospital and I woke up kind of that night, I actually had left-sided paralysis. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of weeks later that they actually, they diagnosed me with, me with brown Saccard syndrome, um, which is a type of uh, incomplete spinal cord injury where um, they took, I remember learning it in OT school as like, uh, it's most commonly caused by uh, gunshot or stab wounds because it's a hemi section yep. of the spinal cord where only half of the spinal cord is injured. So I think that my injury was on the left side, but um, it's basically what it leads to is a uh, motor weakness or paralysis on one half of your spinal cord and then on the other half on the other half of your body um it causes sensory deficits so over a course of i guess over the course of the two months that i was in the hospital i slowly regained um my motor control on my left side so um i saw ot and physio while i was in the hospital which was really interesting did you ask them um, if they were going to get you a job or yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> I, it would be interesting. I never thought I would want to work with adults in acute care. But after being a patient in acute care, um, I realized like how valuable they are. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because sure. they were, oh my goodness. Like if I hadn't had the OT and the physio, um, just like supporting myself and my family through the rehab journey, like it would have been 10 times worse. Um, they were super helpful with like the communication and advocating yeah, that's awesome. um, for a bunch of stuff, which was really good. Um, but yeah, so with the, going back to the spinal cord injury, so I've like regained motor function, um, pretty much like I would say like, it's mostly a hundred percent for function. Yep. My strength is definitely still decreased on my left side. But the thing that is the most like interesting, I guess, is from, uh, below my shoulder on my right side. Um, I don't feel pain or temperature anymore. So I've okay. regained like, a little bit yep. in parts of my arm. So like in my fingers, if I hold something cold or hot, I can feel like in my fingertips. And there's like a couple spots on my arm where I have a little bit of uh, temperature sensation again, but basically from my torso all the way to my foot, I don't feel uh, temperature at all. Wow. That yeah. is interesting. So it's like, it, it has to do with the level of where... Like where the damage uh, the injury was. was. It's yep. like in the cervical region where like they... This like I should know this from back in the narrow <laughs> days of OT school, but you know, like the spinal tracks where they cross over yeah, yep. in certain levels and stuff. It has to do with uh with that kind of thing. So I don't know if uh if I'll ever fully regain the sensation. I'm almost seven months out from the injury and usually most of the neurologists say that uh with spinal cord damage and injury. 18 months to two years is kind of like the way you get back what you're going to get back. what your new baseline is. Like yep. if you've recovered, what you've recovered at that time is kind of what they would expect you to have for the rest of your okay. life. Like that's not saying that there's exceptions to that rule where people yeah, don't yeah. regain more function afterwards, but uh, in general, that's usually what happens. So still, still yeah, another year till that deadline then fascinating because it's basically upper motor neuron damage so a bunch of things that i would have learned about in school i can now like now now it makes sense yeah which like is not ideal but Um, yeah whatever i can be a science nerd at the same time like ooh, look at my clonus in my foot (laughs) 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 i am i am really impressed with how positive you are about it all i i'm not 100 percent. well i don't know how i would be in the same situation but you're like super like like you know you're finding things to nerd out about and i i haven't i haven't been positive throughout the entire thing like there's obviously been moments of anger and frustration and feeling super down and not loving the fact that this happened yep Um, But the thing that I think keeps me being able to be fairly positive is that like having the knowledge that I have from my education, I know that my injuries could have been like way worse and that I really lucked out in terms of like having an incomplete spinal cord injury at the cervical level 
Um, and like just the fact that I managed to not have a head injury, like, um, I did have a concussion, but from the get go on the scene of the accident, like I, my phone was smashed. I had my phone in the back pocket of my bike Jersey and, um, I was able to, to rhyme off my parents' phone number in a different province of Canada so that they would be able to have someone to phone to let them know like, Hey, this has happened. So from the get go, my cognitive, uh, function was was seemingly normal um so that was an absolute blessing and then just like having a really awesome support system around me um my parents lived in a different like they live across the country so that was kind of tricky my mom flew out that evening my dad ended up coming later in the week my brother drove down from a different province as well and then um just like having friends and family and my work be so supportive has made it a much, uh, much easier, uh, situation, I guess. So, so yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That's it's, it's, I can see how being able to stay that much more positive would definitely, I guess, I don't know whether it would speed up the, the rehab process or it would definitely make it, an e a better process than you know getting down yeah, and staying like, down and for sure obviously yeah like I think attitude and like mental how you're mentally feeling can like is such a diff- like big influence on your physical yeah yeah health uh, even with just with like pain and uh, wanting to be social or um, things like that. But I think too, a big thing for me while I was in the hospital was having a specific motivation. Um, so, uh, it's so interesting too, like, because I'm an OT and while I was in the hospital being a patient, you really, I don't know, like I did very much reflect on my experience as it was happening, but also after it's like, oh, you learn about all these theories like in school about, you know, the the Canadian model of occupational uh, engagement and uh, like moho and stuff like that. But it's legit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so legit. Like um, my best friend was getting married in the fall, um, in October and I was supposed to be a bridesmaid. And so the entire time that I was in the hospital, I had that like single motivation of like being at that wedding and not missing it because that would have just been so devastating. Um, I've known this friend since we were like really young kids. So that was my goal, my goal. And I had no idea whether or not it was a realistic goal or if it was, you know, I wanted to believe that it was achievable, but there was lots of different things at play. I had a big, huge uh, TLSO brace. I do remember, I I do remember seeing a photo of you holding it. Yeah. So I was like, even willing to freaking show up to the wedding in my big blue psychedelic pattern brace and Philly <laughs> collar. Like I didn't care what I was wearing yeah, as long yeah. as I was, there, to be I was there. Okay. So I think like having 
having something that I was really like gunning to, to achieve was really helpful because I think that if I hadn't had that thing that I was looking forward to, it would have really made the hospital time drag on. And I might not have been like, I was a motivated client to begin with. I'm a young, like healthy, active person. I I really wanted to get better and be able to return to like my job and my life and stuff. So I think that I probably would have still had like a motivation to recover, but I'm not, I don't know if it would have, if I would have recovered as quickly or as, uh, as well as I did enough to like get to that. I'm still obviously in the process of recovering. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's definitely slowed down a lot at this point, but that was something that kind of like really, really kept me going. So do you think, cause this is something I've often wondered and I haven't, well, I've never known anyone in this situation to be able to ask. Yeah. Do you think, uh, on terms of looking at motivation, that having a goal that was outside of you, so like I know a lot of people like you read about in, you know, rehab wards and that kind of thing, like their motivation might be, you know, I need to get home, I need to be able to live independently, I need to learn to walk again, whatever it is. But do you think having a goal that's outside of you in that, you know, you've got to get to mm-hmm. your, your friend's wedding was more... I guess a stronger motivation than just having the, like the internal kind of goals. I think that definitely in that situation for myself, it a hundred percent, it like, because there was like a different, a different kind of emotion attached to it. Yeah. I think like I knew that I, would eventually return home. So I knew that like there were going to be different things that I was going to have to work on. And like in my personal situation, I did have, you know, a really supportive family and the resources to be able to know that like I would be able to go home and I would have people helping me out for, you know, as long as I I Mm. needed. So in in someone else's situation, maybe being home would be enough of a, a big motivator. But I think for me, it was like, uh, that emotional tied to like this goal. Like I would have just been so sad if I couldn't have mm. been there and I would have been so upset, like seeing pictures and just feeling like, Oh, I missed out on this huge life event for someone. And I'm never going to get that chance to experience that again. Like it was a lo- one once in a lifetime opportunity to, to be at her wedding. And so I think it did make it extra motivating um, to have that outside goal. And because it required being able to be mobile and stuff like that, it provided a good amount of um, motivation to like be doing the physio and to be, you know, getting stronger and working on my walking and doing stairs and stuff like that, because I did really have to, um, relearn to an extent, I guess, like how to, how to walk and how to do stairs and stuff. My balance and my coordination and muscle strength are still, you know, sketchy at times. Yeah. Um, I still have troubles with different things, but it's come a a really long way. But in those, 
like I have a video of myself, I think from the first time that they had me up and walking and I yeah, so that on, your, like on your Instagram. Feet just like aren't doing what my brain is telling them and they're holding me up because <laughs> I'm just so weak and stuff. So I think you're on the yeah, the parallel bars and you're yeah, walking yeah, through there. Yeah. Like, with your neck brace. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like so, yeah, I think like I think the goal piece though it would, I think it really is so, uh, so personal and individual, uh, for me, like, you know, every day that I was in the hospital, I really wanted to be home, but then it was interesting when I got home, I realized too, that, that, uh, there is even as much as I hated being in the hospital, there is kind of like this safety net to it as well, where you're like, Oh, like there's all of the people here are trained to to help me as nurses if something goes wrong, or you know, as rehab staff to help if something goes wrong. When you get out into the community, there's so many different variables that aren't controlled that you have to deal with. Like, you know, is the person in front of you gonna recognize that you have a mobility issue and are they gonna give you enough space? Like there's just so many things that are also the furniture, like the furniture in the hospital, as much as hospitals are super sterile, like having a hospital bed that raises and, and whatnot is so handy when you get home. Like I have a couch and a chair and stuff, but my, my furniture wasn't, wasn't you know, optimal. the most comfortable given yeah. the injuries that I had. So I almost enjoyed, you know, the fact that the bed at the hospital was served like a better yeah, yeah. purpose than the furniture at my house when I got home, which was interesting. So when you first went, so you went into like an intensive care ward type thing first? Yeah, I was on the trauma unit. So I trauma think unit, that's yeah. like one step below the ICU at this hospital. So what was your experience of the, the trauma unit? Like you, what you said, you were on there for like three weeks? Yeah, so... The first week, I don't really have much recollection at all of kind of what had happened. I was very in and out of. I assume that was when they were doing the surgeries and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was yeah. having, I had like three surgeries in that week. My pain levels were really high. They had me on a, eventually they had me on a drip of, I don't know, Dilaudid or morphine or something like that. So I don't have a, a good recollection, but. I know in that first week, um, there was a lot of like being monitored. Um, I, the first couple of days you have to be monitored 24 hours by a nurse. You're hooked up to like, I think I was probably had like heart rate monitor, oxygen, all that kind of stuff. And then once they had determined that I was stable, I got moved into, uh, a room and then that's where I stayed for probably the next three weeks. Um, so in the beginning I had, so because of the fractures I had in my, in my back, um, they were determining like whether or not the TLSO brace would be, uh, like going the conservative route of, of just stabilizing would be enough or if I would need, um, 
surgery. Rolled. Yep. So I had, yeah, I had to do a bunch of series of x-rays, um, in different positions and stuff like wearing the brace. Well, the brace had to be made to begin with. So an orthotist would have come in and measured. And apparently I had the option to choose the pattern that was on the brace. And I very much do not recall uh, <laughs> the one that I did because it's kind of a very like psychedelic Austin Powers sort of like blue swirly. I'm looking at it here. Um, it is very yeah, kind of so like I an artistic that. ocean I kind of look. That. I don't know if that is like a reflection of how I was feeling while on the pain medication, but that was a personal choice. Um, <laughs> so he measured it. Um, they, they made it, they brought it back. So that took a couple of days. And then, um, once I had had x-rays done in sitting and they could see that my spine was stable, then they did a set of x-rays in standing to see that it was still doing the job. And then the next thing that they did was, um, after being up in that very first session of physio, I went right down after and had another set of x-rays done to make sure that it was uh, keeping me stable while I was in, while I was moving. Um, so that was a lot of the first week was just like getting those things sorted out. I had a lot of different MRIs and CT scans and stuff because they didn't fully understand what was going on with my left side. Um, because I had, like, I knew that I remember knowing like right from the very first day wiggle the toes on on my feet so I don't have a complete spinal cord injury that's awesome yeah um but I still didn't have like I couldn't move my arm I just had like a bit of movement in my fingers so they they weren't a hundred percent sure if it was spinal cord damage or if it was a brachial plexus injury so I had a whole bunch of scans done and then Somewhere through the second week, I realized that like I had like facial droop on my on one side. I can't. I think it was on my left side. My smile was crooked and my eyelid was kind of funny. Yep. And then, so then they did a whole bunch of other tests to make sure there was nothing going on with my brain. But that ended up being um, Horner syndrome, which I would have to look up what it is. It's uh, something to do with the autonomic nervous system. So again, like as the spinal shock went down, my lip and my face is okay again, but I still don't sweat on the left side of my face and my eye, like my eyelid is a little bit different. So there's a lot of testing, a lot of scans, a lot of like just that medical kind of stuff. Yep. Had you, um, had you had contact with like OT physio, that kind of stuff by that stage or was it mainly just all the medical uh, stuff? They came in at some point because the OT, the OT and the physio were really helpful with the brace. Cause initially I was given the TLSO that had an Aspen attachment. So the Aspen attachment was like these rods that came up and it was basically like a Philly collar attached to, to the brace, the, the torso brace. Um, and so the OT was responsible for fitting the Philly collar because I had to have a Philly collar while I was in bed 24 hours and the TLSO was any time I was out of bed. So as long as I was lying flat and less than 90 degrees, I was okay to not have the brace on. But as soon as I was 
out of bed, I had to have the the brace. So the OT was responsible for um, kind of like overseeing some of that fitting the Philly collars. So she would have come in within the first couple of days. And then they were really uh, helpful with advocating for for me with that brace because it was so uncomfortable. Like I wasn't allowed. So the orthotist came in and he took measurements, but you know, you're pumping, like they pumped me full of medications and fluid. So like my body was swollen and I was not in like great positions. So when the orthotist initially measured for it, um, what what actually came back to me didn't really fit very well. <laughs> yeah, and so it was causing me a lot of pain, and I wasn't able to tolerate wearing it for very long, which was a problem because in order to do any kind of physio or being up out of bed to do any kind of ADLs or to go to OT to work on like hand stuff, I had to be able to tolerate wearing this brace. And I had like this weird kind of, Uh, like angle to my neck for the first little while. So the OT and physio were so crucial in like talking with the orthotist and getting him to adjust it so that it was not something that he had ever done before, but they were like, well, she's not normal. (laughs) (laughs) So we need to like think outside the box. And even if like normally the Aspen collar is on a hundred percent percent straight for how you would normally do it, like for her, it's not going to work this way. And in order to tolerate being able to be in the brace, we actually like made the metal rods crooked. So it looked like when the nurses were going to put it on, it didn't look like it was sitting on my body correctly, but that was the way it needed to be. And so the OT actually took some pictures of me wearing it so that you could see that it was supposed to be crooked and put it up on the wall of my room so that when the nurses would come in put to it on, they'd know it wasn't put it on, like they would know that anything. like it's not supposed to be the way that you normally think it is. Yep. So that was really nice because would have been a bit more comfortable. This idea in medicine often that you have these processes and they go a certain way, but oftentimes like it's not a one size fits all. So yeah. you do have to think outside the box and sometimes stray away from what the normal is to have your client or your patient actually be functional. So, so how so was, was it mainly just settling into that brace and all that sort of stuff before you went to the rehab ward or what else happened in the I so once once the brace and stuff was all sorted out I did physio every day so that was initially just like when I wasn't allowed to be out of bed because for the first 10 days when they I think it was 10 days maybe a week with getting the brace all sorted out I actually wasn't able to be out of bed so the physio had come in and kind of shown um some things I could do for like mobility in in bed like foot stuff, stretches, exercises. Um, And then once I was able to be out of bed, I went to physio, the physio gym every day. And I also um, went to OT every day or she came to me. It just depended. And the OT uh, 
was working on all like hand stuff. So I, she made me some splints. Um, I had like a resting hand splint that had been made just because they didn't want me to have any contractures formed with like the lack of movement that I had. Um, and then we did a whole bunch of like hand therapy exercises and arm strengthening and stuff as, um, you know, as I started to get more function back. Yep. And then like, I think for, uh, the typical patient an OT would have done more stuff in regards to ADLs and things like that. But with myself being an OT and then my mom is actually an OT oh, really? <laughs> and my dad is a physio. Um, we were like the dream team. I was going to say, you could not have been yeah. in a better position. I don't know if they, well, like, I think sometimes they liked us, but sometimes I think they probably were annoyed by us because we know the system and we knew what questions to ask and like, we were <laughs> like getting more information. Um, but because both of my parents work in the rehab field and because I'm an OT, they didn't really have to provide me with much help, I guess, um, in yeah. terms of teaching me how to adapt my ADLs. Like that was just something that I did on my own. Yep. Um, when, when I transitioned to the rehab hospital, uh, my mom actually, like one day she was bored cause she was living at my house by herself and my dad had flown back to Ontario. She actually had gotten out a tape measure and like measured the rise and run of the stairs leading up to my door and measured like the distances in my bathroom. And so when I showed up to my first OT appointment at the rehab hospital, she had my all the information. Like, oh, I actually did like a little bit of an assessment on her house. And here are the different measurements that we'll need for like equipment and stuff. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, this is so embarrassing. But the OT thought it was hilarious and was just like, you've basically done my job for me. So it would have been very helpful. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then once I was at the rehab hospital, it was just more of a, like being prepared to go back home. So I again did physio every day, OT every day, still working on, uh, similar things like being able to go up and down stairs. We did a little bit of like, um, my mobility by the end had gotten good enough that we kind of just did one sort of, uh, environmental assessment of like getting into and out of the bathtub and stuff like that in their, in their OT or in, yeah, in their OT like area. Um, but mostly it was like strengthening and, um, that was when, too, they figured out more of the neurological stuff that was going on. So I had some EMG studies done on my arms, and um, a neurologist came and did, like, a full, full neurology assessment. And that's when I started. they started to put together kind of that I had this other – it wasn't a brachial plexus injury. It was actual uh, spinal cord damage or – or whatever so yeah it was just like being in a hospital but in a different place because usually you don't stay like at the acute care hospital is even I think the length of weeks I had there was a little bit more than typical but we had to wait for a bed to open up at the rehab hospital so so it was the rehab 
It was all like a different. It wasn't in the same building. It was no, somewhere else. It was else. a different. It's a different hospital. Okay. Uh, not not too far away, but um, in a different part of the city. There is a hospital that is an acute care hospital across the street, but I got sent to a different one because um, I think because there were so many trauma patients, like from our our Your group, group. Yep. they they sent them to different hospitals, which makes sense. I never realized that they do that, but um, two of us went to one hospital, two went to another hospital, and a third one went to a different one in the city. So, so yeah. I'm curious because that's what I do. Uh, yeah. Thinking about things like from a, an occupation perspective on terms of, I guess, that being a rather big and rather rapid, I guess, transition for you on terms of occupations. Yeah. You had all of these things in your life and then literally in an instant everything changes. Yeah. Did you feel... Find and I think I, I probably already know the answer to this, but did you find that you not just, I guess, dealt with the fact that the change had happened, but I guess adapted to new occupations that you probably hadn't thought of or engaged in prior to the accident, like quickly, or was that something you had to put a lot of conscious thought into, or? Because I'd, well, imagine, I'd imagine like, just the, the amount of time in hospital, just, you know, especially if you're laying totally, in bed, yeah. there would have been so things like, that you had to do to keep your mind active at least. Honestly, like, I, while I was in the hospital, most of the time it was, yeah, like everything, even, even now, like it's gotten better, but everything takes more energy and takes longer. So in the hospital, I guess like between appointments with like physio and OT and then like other scans and stuff. Most of the time it was, I would, I found it really good to have friends come and visit or family. So I would have like people come and visit me and then I would end up napping or just relaxing um, because of the concussion and stuff, the symptoms, symptoms I was having while I was at the acute care hospital, I didn't really like I, I wasn't feeling well enough to like read or to watch TV or anything like that. So for those three weeks, it was mostly appointments, napping and visiting with friends. Cause that would take a lot of uh, energy out of me. Like someone would come visit for an hour and I would end up like napping for an hour yep. or so afterwards. Cause I was just yeah. so wiped out from being social. Um, I think the biggest transition more so was when I left the hospital and came back home because I wasn't like before my accident, I was living alone. Um, I've lived by myself for the last six years. So, and my family lives like a three hour flight away. So I, I, uh, was a very independent, you know, like did everything on my own, drove myself everywhere. And so that was definitely a shift in like, um, up until leaving the hospital, if I, if I wanted to get out of bed, I needed three adults to come and help me get out of bed because I was on C-spine precautions. So two, one person had to hold my neck and two people had to, um, 
get the brace on. So that was really, that took a lot of adjusting because it really took away a lot of my, my independence, which I was not used to. Um, so then once I got home, like I still was very reliant on my mom or whoever was visiting, um, for help. Uh, and just like, I didn't have the energy to do the things I would normally do for fun. So like I wasn't working, um, I couldn't really exercise. Like my exercise was going to physio. I started watching TV um, and movies and stuff once I got to the rehab hospital. And so I did a lot of watching TV when I got home. I have watched more TV in the last seven months than I think I have in the last like <laughs> four years. Yep. Um, and then slowly as I've gotten stronger and had more energy, I've been able to do um, more things. But it definitely has been a challenge because before like my main the occupation that took the most of my energy and time would have been my job. Um, and then, you know, I did a lot of different things for leisure and self-care on the side. I cycled, I did yoga, I hung out with friends. I, you know, had, had those activities, but switching to being like self-care being your main (laughs) occupation is not what I would say most of us are used to. Um, and so that has taken, uh, taken some getting used to. And I think the more, the more I get better, um, it's almost like a constant transition because I'm constantly having to figure out like, you know, manage my energy and like, okay, now I can go and do some swimming in the pool or some exercise, like, uh, on the spin bike with friends, but, um, how much energy am I going to have later to do the other things I need to do at home? Um, so it's just kind of like (laughs) always micromanaging things that used to just like not be something I would have to think about. Now I have to really kind of, uh, plan out. I can't be as spontaneous as I used to. And, um, knowing when the right time to go back to work, I think it's going to be something like I'm getting closer, yep. but I also want to be able to continue to keep a balance when I do return to work. Like I don't want to return to work and have it be the only thing that I have energy to do and then get home and not have, you know, not have the energy to be able to cook for myself or go yeah, grocery yep. shopping or see people. So that's been, uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And, um, just the concept too, that most, like one of the most common questions I've gotten when I've been off is like, when are you going back to work? Yeah. Which I think is a safe, a safe thing for people to ask, but that's been a really interesting kind of thing I've reflected on because I don't know if it's that it's um, just the way that society is that people kind of view your work productivity as your most important occupation or most valuable occupation but I've I've had to wrestle with that at times because I'm like well like I'm still not at work and that's that's okay but because 
a lot of my injuries are no longer visible. Yeah. Um, I think it kind of confuses people or they have a hard time kind of understanding, you know, that I still have pain every day or that, you know, my balance is still bad and I'm using a cane and, um, you know, OT can be quite a demanding job in terms of, uh, I was working with kids with special needs in their families, which is often like a high stress situation for a lot of the families who yeah. have kids who have different needs and they're dealing with the school system and stuff like that. So, um, and then it's really physical. Like I have to be able to have kids crawling on me or being down on the floor, or jumping on a trampoline. So I want to be physically as strong as I can be, um, before I return to work. And, uh, you can't really tell that I don't have some of those skills just by looking at me at this point. Yeah. Yep. So that's been kind of interesting too. So to be living. another thing I was wondering is, so in your mind is the ultimate goal at the end of all of this to get back to the occupations that you were doing prior, or are you looking at, I guess, adjusting for a new capacity? I think definitely some things will have to be adjusted. Like, for example, this winter has been kind of tricky because in the past, the things that I would have enjoyed doing in the winter with friends would be skating and skiing. Yep. Um, and I haven't had the balance or just like those were activities that are a little bit higher risk. So my doctors told me to avoid them this year just to make sure that you know, I don't re hurt myself or I don't hit my head or something like that. So something I took up this year as an alternative was snowshoeing because it's, we're in Canada, we have <laughs> lots of snow and it's cold. So please, please do explain what that is to this very is, warm so <laughs> Australian in the middle of our summer. Snowshoeing is like. Because <laughs> snowshoeing to me wear, sounds like a piece of apparel. You'll have to look up what a picture of a snowshoe is. So you're wearing your winter boots as you do in Canada when it's minus 30. And then they're like these things that you strap onto your boots. So kind of like a ski is something that attaches to a boot that you're wearing, a snowshoe you put on over top. And it sort of is like this big waffled looking thing. I'm just looking at it now. It so it just helps some you of them stay like on top of the snow. Like if you have really, really deep snow, Yep. Then you sink. It looks like a tennis so racket. It's basically like glorified walking. <laughs> we use uh, similar things to them uh, for getting four-wheel drive cars out of mud. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> that's what it looks that, like to me anyway. That's been something I've been able to do though because like it's it's just like walking and I can, I can walk um, and you use like – ski pole kind of looking things so that's been something that i've adapted this year so it's kind of like hiking um, in the snow pardon so it's kind of like hiking in the snow it is 100 percent. it's like hiking in the snow glorified walking <laughs> uh, so i've had to adjust some of the activities that i do this year i don't know even like oh i still have lots and lots of months ahead of me until next winter so I don't know if skating if my balance will improve enough that next year I'll be able to ski and skate like that'll be something that I might have to look into the nice thing about 
skiing is that there are ways that you can adapt it in terms of like downhill skiing that you could, I don't think I would necessarily need to, to do a sit ski. Like they have things where, um, for Paralympic athletes and stuff, or just people who have mobility issues, you can sit and have sit in this like contraption that's called a sit ski and go down the hill. I think I've seen that. Kind of looks like a little scooter, but on skis. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen them. Like that's something. There's also different kinds of poles that you can get where, like, instead of it just being a normal ski pole, they have little little blades on the bottom of them, so you have extra balance as well. Um, I don't know. Like it's hard, it's hard to say. Cause we've had winter. Like I, I liked to run and I liked to hike. I liked to do yoga. So those are all activities and biking. Like those are all activities that I liked that, you know, I really would hope to be able to continue to do. Um, and I think that I have the capacity physically to be able to do them maybe not to the same extent, but in some varied sort of form. Um, And then with work, like my goal is to go back to work, whether or not I go back, you know, full time, or if I decide to just go back 0.8 or like, you know, a partial partial FTE in the long run, just to, I don't know, I, I, through this, I've kind of realized that like having that extra time for yourself and really balancing, you know, work with like the things that the other things that you really love to do. Um, not that I couldn't work full time, but I, I could see myself maybe not working as much as I used to just to continue to enjoy some of the other things and have the energy to be able to do it. Cause it if seems, it seems like, just in what you've told me so far today, like prior to the accident, I guess probably one of the main limiting factors on the th- types of things you were doing was probably time. Uh, time, yeah, hundred percent. Like now, in and now with it's my energy. Job. So it's a, yeah, you're totally right. Like time was the major limiting factor before. I was a really active and fit person. And maybe money as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, do I have the money to drive to the mountains yeah, or to yeah. go and do this activity or whatever? Those were kind of the two things that were the most limiting. Whereas now I actually have to consider like my energy and physically, like, is, is this something I'm going to be able to do yeah. right now? Like I haven't been able to, I don't really have the coordination quite yet to be running Um, So lots of sports and stuff that are things I would have done in the past um, aren't necessarily accessible to me yet. And so those are things that are like, I'm just going to have to continue to explore and see um, if I'll be able to do them. And it's something that brought me a lot of joy. So um, if I can't do them the way that I used to be able to do them, then I I feel like I would be the type of person who would want to adapt them so I could still continue to participate. Okay. I would, I would, um, I was saying that sports were something that brought me a lot of joy before. So if, if I find that physically I can't do them in the way that I used to, I will figure out ways to adapt what I'm doing to still be able to participate in some way. What about, 
uh, you were saying earlier, like, you know, prior to the accident, you used to be able to drive yourself wherever. How does drive, how's driving been affected? I'm assuming it's it has okay been now. So I, I had to get medically cleared to drive by my doctor. So I, wearing like the Philly collar, I had that on for three months and I had the, I had to use the back brace for two. So the back brace was basically done once I was out of the month of wearing the neck collar. Um, so in that time, my mom had to drive me to all of my appointments or I had to get rides. But um, by the end of December, I had been cleared to drive. So I am able to drive myself now. I haven't done any longer drives. Like I, with the work that I did before with Key Creative, um, we, we service Edmonton, the city that I live in. But we also did a lot of rural practice. Um, so I would drive sometimes three hours to go see some families in a more remote rural community. Um, so I will have to see kind of in the next little bit. That'll be part of my like gradual return to work yeah, is yeah. figuring out like, okay, How are we getting around this? the city is fine. But like, you know, uh, how does my body handle driving for like three hours or four hours to get places? I know I have to make a lot more stops and might have to do more planning. And that might be something with my job that eventually has to be adapted. Like maybe I'm not able to drive as far as I used to for work, um, to make sure that I have the energy to, <laughs> to do back. the visit once <laughs> I get there. Unless the family's okay with me, you know, taking a nap on their couch before we get started. But yeah. I don't think that that'd be the most professional thing. It would be, yeah, that would be different. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I just nap yeah. before we get this started? I'll be right so, with you. I'm just going to get a bit of shut eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, driving is, it's something now that I'm, I'm able to do, which is really helpful because again, like, uh, that was such a big part or for me, it was a really big part of my independence prior to like, yeah, I've had my license since I was 16 years old. So I've been driving for, you know, 12 years, 13 years and never had to rely on other people to take me places. So <laughs> it's nice to have that back and be able to do that. Um, but I guess like, two things that I have kind of adapted in my day to day just to help with saving energy has been, I got a house cleaner. So that's super handy. Someone comes and helps me clean my house. I used to have one of those. I don't know if this is a thing in Australia, (laughs) but it's become really popular in Canada for grocery stores to have either grocery delivery or pickup. No, we have that. Yeah. So like, I've never used it, but we do have it go and get some things from the store on my own, but I have, I have started using the online where I like order it and then I go pick it up and and they put it into my car just because carrying all the bags and stuff can be kind of challenging with our winter. Yep. So I I haven't heard if we've got that, like the, where you go and pick it up, but I know we, I know we do have delivery You can get delivery. Because yeah, I've, I've so seen handy. I've seen the little supermarket trucks driving around, dropping off food to people. Yeah. And- so that's been those are two things that I've found have been helpful just for like, you know, saving my energy for like my other appointments and or it's just not another thing I have to be able to schedule into my day. I can just have 
you know, someone come and help me to do it. Yep. And eventually I think it'll be something I can do again on my own. But right now it's been nice to just kind of be like, nope, this is, this is something I'm willing to give up to, yeah, you know, yeah. another person to be able to have uh, the time and the energy to do other things that I feel are more important. <laughs> so with your, like say planning out your energy and stuff, how much planning are you actually having to put into that? Like, are you sitting there scheduling your day ahead of time going, I'm going to be able to fit this or that, or you just kind of go on the fly and go, oh, I'm a bit tired, I won't do that the Savi or? No, I like, I schedule most of my medical appointments and physio appointments and stuff like that ahead. So I have kind of an idea of like what those appointments, I put those all in as like my base and then, for seeing friends or doing other activities, I kind of um, schedule around it. It took a lot of trial and error, like in the beginning, especially my mom left at the beginning of January. She stayed with me for close to six months. Yep. Um, so once she left, I had to also factor in, okay, now I have to cook dinner. Because <laughs> my mom, she liked yeah, to yeah. cook. So she would just like, cook while I was taking a nap or something like that. So in the first little bit when she left, there were a couple of days where I realized I'd kind of planned too much thinking I would have longer breaks in between to go home and relax and just an appointment went too long or something like that. And I was just really wiped out by the end of the day. But I've kind of at this point gotten a handle of like, usually I can have an appointment in the morning and then I can plan to do something later in the day, but I need to go home and like lay down to give my back a break yep, or something like that, like in the middle of the day, or I can do two things back to back, but then not have something for the rest of the evening. So I definitely like plan, uh, have kind of an outline of the big ticket items of what I, what I'm doing in my week. And then, um, if I've had, if I have an open afternoon or a day that's not as busy, sometimes I can just throw something in randomly, but oftentimes I have an idea at least a couple days ahead of what the next What's day is going to look yeah. like. And there have been times where I've had to cancel things because I'm just like, nope, like I'm, I need just to like relax and not go out and do something knowing that it would just not give me enough time to kind of recover for the next day. Yeah. So I've gotten used to saying no more than I would have before, Yeah. which I think can be very hard for people. I'm a very social person, so I don't like missing out on like, or having to say no to activities, but it's definitely been necessary at times just to like, listen to my body. Yeah. Like, okay prioritized your self-care over the the FOMO you may get from uh yeah from missing but then out. there's also been a couple of occasions now that I can think of for example like a friend's birthday where I was in pain while I was there but again at that point it's kind of like you weigh okay so is is the discomfort I'm feeling right now worth putting myself through to be able to hang out with these people for a little bit longer. And then tomorrow I can like take just the day to rest. Like sometimes that has happened too, where I've decided to stay longer knowing this is going to hurt, but I want to be here. Yeah, I'll just 
I'll just pay for it and then <laughs> I'll fill my cup up again later. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, that'd be the same for most people. There'd be some things, I guess, you know, yeah. the, the sacrifice to be able to be somewhere or do something with, you know, someone that means a lot, that kind of thing would, mm-hmm. you know. I think a lot of people sort of uh, when I've talked to them, they sort of end up in this all or nothing mindset where it's like, well, I can't do that because I'll end up in pain tomorrow. I'm like, well, you can if it's something that's really, really meaningful for you and you, like, you're like, you aware of what's going to happen, you're aware of the consequence. It's not going to be a surprise tomorrow when you're feeling a bit stiff or a bit sore, then you know, yeah. it's up to you to weigh up whether that's worth it. Some of it for me is is like I have to prepare myself to be able to be out of the house for more hours at a time in preparation for being able to go back to work. So obviously there's like an upper limit of you can really overdo it, but at the same time, it's kind of part of my rehab at this point to be pushing myself to be able to do a little bit more and a little bit more in my days so that my body tolerates it. And so that I can eventually get to the point where I'm working again and doing all my other life stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I will say, I am very impressed the, with your physio. I've just seen the photos of you doing your physio, and your physio gym isn't just your typical, you know, clinical hospital type gym. I've seen no. there's photos of you using barbells and doing kettlebell deadlifts and all stuff that you know a lot of people would do just in any other gym. Like it's not. Yeah. So. Um, the place that I go is called pivotal physio. And so they've got a bunch of clinics in Edmonton and, um, the two, they do have a clinic that is a little bit more of a standard kind of private practice clinic, um, in one area of the city, but the one that's closest to my house or the two that are closest to my house are kind of more geared towards, uh, like athletes. So my physio and some of the other physios there tend to work with some of the higher level athletes in the city. We have a, a national, one of the, like a CFL Canadian football league, um, football being not soccer, being but like, but like American football, American but football, Canadian, <laughs> but with different rules than what NFL football is because yep. we like to be different, but we have a national hockey team and we also have a football team. So some of, those athletes go to this place too. So they've got all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and I think like, you know, some of the exercises are things that like people would be doing at the gym, but for me, like my strength has really decreased. So while some of the exercises I'm doing are things that like you could do with super heavy weights, I'm usually, I think the barbell in that in that one picture was maybe like five pounds or something like that. So it's not, it wasn't super heavy. It just looks really cool. Um, But I do do a lot of like, you know, I, even though I'm no longer competing as an athlete, that is still such a huge, like, uh, part of my identity. And so I think like being in a, in a place uh, working out and going to physio, working out in a in a gym that you know kind of has that feel has also made it really motivating because yeah. I have you know a kinesiologist or a sports uh, like strength and endurance coach who also works with me with the physio and it's basically like going 
and doing a, a workout at the gym for an hour, but it's that my physio has created all of the exercises based on the different areas that I need to focus on. So we're really working on strengthening my back and my shoulders because those have caused me a lot of problems. And then like lots of exercises that work on balance and coordination. So depending on what your interests are, that can look like so many different things, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just, I just love that it's, it is a it's really normalized. Cool place, so yeah. like you see a lot of people trying to rehab and like I know if, if it was me, like if it was a real clinical kind of environment, I'd lose interest very quickly. But yeah, because it's, you yeah. know, you, it's almost it, like they have a lot of the equipment that you might see at like a CrossFit gym. Yeah, so it's yeah, a lot of, like, it actually looks gym. it actually looks like a CrossFit gym and it's got a few strongest, some strongman equipment in there. I see there's tires and there's a yoke and. Uh, yeah. what looks like a sled and so that kind of stuff but it's yeah it's cool, cool because you're right like I'm going three times a week I'm usually there for a minimum of two hours and that would easily get super boring but I have like the team that I'm working with is you know they're really personable they do a really good job of like talking to the patients and figuring out like what their goals are what their interests are and so they keep it really interesting, which is nice. It kind of just feels like I'm going to work out at the gym for, you know, yeah. a couple of hours and they just like stick me with needles and <laughs> do all that fun, you know, like zap me with the little electrode machine or the... You're getting the full service, TENS, needles, all of yeah, that. Yeah, tens, TENS machine. Yep. I've been having acupuncture done. I've been having... IMS, which is like a different kind of dry needling. Yep. So those different things to try to help with like symptoms and stuff. Cause I still, I've lost a lot of range of motion in my, in my spine. Yep. And I still get a lot of like muscle spasms and just like pain and stuff in my back from breaking a bunch of the bones. So <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's oh, really. Then is sitting here. So it's really. I'm having to adjust my screen so you can still see me. <laughs> but it's definitely been a journey. Like I never, you never would have, I don't know. Nobody ever thinks that they're going to be on the other side of their profession or no one ever thinks that they're going to wake up and, you know, go get hit by a truck. But Hopefully uh, not. I just had to deal with what was, what was dealt my way. And, um, yeah, it, it I think being an OT and being a like understanding the medical system was a huge advantage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like understanding what the doctors were talking about, what the nurses were talking about, having an understanding of the types of questions. That was something that um was really valuable because if there's one thing that I realized is that like I think everybody kind of knows that the medical system is kind of confusing for the average person, but being a patient and actually having it be related to my care and my quality of care, it definitely, when I go back to work will be something that I take into consideration even more is like, you know, are the best, like are the, um, is the best interest of my clients, like, you know, 
the the forefront for this kind of you know direction that we're going to go like what's the most important thing to them like how are they feeling are they comfortable do they understand how is communication between the team because there were so many times where we just had no idea what was going on and I had like two medical professionals as parents a bunch of my friends are doctors and pharmacists and stuff so they were able to kind of explain things to me but most people don't necessarily have the luxury of, you know, understanding the system. And you would have, like, I feel like it would be really hard to know what was going on. Yeah, um, yeah, it would be. And just, just like seeing the role or the important role that our professions had um, in rehab, you know, like we're looking more at like the functional side of things as opposed to purely like medical stability yep which is important like the medical stability piece and knowing like you know are all your systems working are all your bones okay like that's super important but um i i did see like how valuable it is for like the rehab staff to be involved in just the day-to-day and helping a person feel more independent and be able to get back to their their life i guess yeah yeah for sure it'll definitely give me um a lens to look through when i go back to practice for sure which you know as much as it sucked to go through i think that it if there's anything that else that's positive is that it'll probably make me a better therapist i would hope in the long run (laughs) i think that's one thing like I have found even just through this podcast talking with different people, I don't know whether it's sort of exclusive to OT or more like, you know, prevalent with OT, but I've found and I've learned talking to people that OT is a profession where if you've been through something or you've experienced something, it and, and you're you have the capacity to not necessarily spin it, but to to see it from a more analytical point of view as opposed to a really emotive point of view. You you can like it can enhance what you do. Like mm-hmm. uh, I spe- I've spoken to a lot of people that are not not necessarily trauma uh, like yourself, but you know they may have gone through depression or something like that, and then they've been able to even just from a point of view that they've got a better understanding of what it feels like and how it presents and the types of things that they need to consider mm-hmm. and then being able to incorporate that into their therapy practice. I think OT is a profession that life experience, good, bad, or otherwise, really has a massive impact on who you are as a therapist. I would 100% agree because, you know, we learned – we learned in school about, you know, therapeutic use of self. And, and I think a big piece of, of any medical profession, but one that is specifically like in OT, our goal is really focusing on like meaningful occupation. So right from the get-go, we're wanting to know, you know, like what is important to people. Um, a lot of that has to do with relationship building and trust. And so if you've been through an experience and you kind of can have a perspective, even if you haven't been through through an experience, but you can empathize with a person about what that might have been like, I think that that is 
at least half the battle in building a good client relationship because if uh if the person that you're working with doesn't feel like you understand or doesn't feel like they trust you then the reality is you're probably not going to get very far working towards the goals so i think that our soft skills are just as important as some of those other you know more theory based and analytical skills that you learn in school uh really like that you learn thousand, to be in a thousand percent agree with that and i i would probably almost argue that they're more important yeah um yeah. i have read i can't i should look this up because i've quoted it before but i can never remember who actually did it but i have read research about the fact that the relationship you build with someone is like 60% of the way to a positive outcome. So even if you do nothing else other than build a really positive relationship, you're more than halfway there. For sure. And I definitely experienced that while in the hospital too. Like I had some doctors and some staff that were really wonderful, but then there were the occasional people who just either – I think it comes down to they, you know, maybe they didn't have enough energy or maybe it was an off day. But I remember, you know, a couple of times being like super annoyed after someone came in to talk to me because they weren't listening to what like they would be asking me questions and not even letting me respond. And it's like, well, my opinion on you now is like, I'm annoyed by you and I don't really like you because... (laughs) you weren't taking the time to listen to me and you weren't like, you know, seeing, seeing who I was as a person. Yep. So yeah, but those people who did take that extra time to kind of listen and hear your responses, I would say generally as a patient, I did respect them more so. And I think in a lot of cases too, you'll get more out as a, as a patient, you'll get more out of that therapeutic relationship purely because the relationship itself is, is better or more more positive. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting. I think like, I don't even know. Just the reality is, is like, we're all, whether I think, like you said, whether you've been through something, really big or you know if you're you've I don't know managed to not not have some major life crises the the reality is you know someone who has or um you know we're always going to bring our life experience with us into like the different ways that we um deal with situations so um yeah, I don't know. But I, 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 th- I think like you hinted at before too, like it's in saying that I'm not saying everyone has to go through something to be a good OT kind of thing. I think yeah, yeah. like you were saying before, you can learn and empathize with others if you take the time to really try and understand it. Like, And that I think that's one of the reasons like I've always learned from people's narratives. That's one of the reasons why I started this mm. podcast. So. I've never been through, you know, a traumatic anything really that, especially not one that ended me in hospital, but having a chat with you and trying to 
you know, really get an understanding of your experience with it and all the different, I guess, variables around that in that, like, even now, I feel like if I was to work with someone who, you know, had a a, a, an, a car accident or something and ended up in, you know, a trauma ward, I would have a better idea. I'm not saying I would be completely any good at helping them, but I would have a better idea now than I did before we started talking. Um, yeah. and, but I also know that your experience, I, I know some of the contextual factors around your experience that would make it maybe different to other people's, like the fact that your parents are in health and you've got a really good support network mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. Like that, those things, even if I knew nothing else about the field, I like those things are really important, the support network and the connections and yeah. um, the fact that you're an 100%. OT and you have this skill set behind you before you even get in there as you know it would have a big effort so you know for me it might be a matter of like if i was working with someone like you know you've got an ot skill set maybe i need to spend a bit of time you know educating this person or providing some information so that they can you know get where i'm coming from as an ot whereas you already had that so maybe that might be something that's useful so that or knowing like to ask the question from the get-go of like how like you have friends or family that you yeah. can call to support you or if you don't would you be open to connecting with a social worker or a psychologist um to help process through because i think even that's something that i'm still in the midst of like i think it'll take years to fully process and understand everything that's happened yeah. really like my life my life is completely changed even though i seem to a lot of people like the same person before um there are are, you know gonna be things that uh if the accident hadn't happened um would probably not have happened in my life or just things that I'm gonna have to be more mindful or considerate of long term I'm gonna be more at risk for different health things as I get older that might have been different than if this hadn't happened and just things like that that I think uh for us all to remember as OTs too that you know the the process is ongoing so to support people with uh I guess like resources and stuff for down the road because you might only be working with someone for a short amount of time but um I think something that's nice about OT is that we often, I've found we can often help bridge the gap between like hospital and community. Um, And so supporting our clients with whatever might come kind of down the road or point them in the direction to resources. Cause a lot of times the, the types of clientele that we're working with, um, you're just seeing a snapshot of their journey and their recovery 100%. and their things are going to be changing long-term and, and there's always things that we can do kind of to I, help yeah, all stages of life, definitely. which is cool about our job. <laughs> definitely. And I think that's another benefit of, you know, getting to uh, a, a good understanding of people's experiences of, you know, trauma or wherever you work, whether, you know, mental health might be experience of a certain diagnosis, whatever it is. I think being able to, like talking to you, um, knowing, you know, this might be coming down the road, 
these are the kinds mm-hmm. of things. So, yeah, you might only work with, say, if you were the OT on the rehab ward and that was the only period of time where you're going to see them, you know, yeah. you know that this stuff's coming so you can, you know, work on that. And I think most OTs do do that, but I think uh, I think it's even if you've been working in these fields f- forever, I think it's always good to touch base with, the narrative of people who have been through it recently when, you know, health systems change, social environments change, the world's a very different place than it was 10 years ago kind of thing. So I think continually keeping in touch with, you know, people's experiences of being through Mm -hmm. the system or rehabbing from whatever it is, um, is a really valuable tool for any OT, no matter how long you've been, you know, in a field. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So do you think you'll get back on a bike? Uh, yeah, I hope to be able to. So I have been doing like, uh, the, the bike group that I, that I was riding with, they run classes through the fall and winter here on stationary bikes. So I've, I started off just being able to do, you know, 20 minutes and I've worked my way up to almost an hour and that's on like a bicycle that's not moving and is in a enclosed (laughs) safe room. Um, so that's been, I've been able to do that, which has been really good. Um, when it comes time for spring, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, um, how that all works because, you know, luckily, uh, because I got knocked unconscious, I don't have any recollection of, you know, the incident happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember getting hit. I don't even remember kind of any lead up to the accident happening. So, Um, at this point I haven't had any kind of like PTSD type situations where I'm having flashbacks or anything like that, which has been a blessing. Um, but that's not to say, you know, that if I go to try to get back on a bike in the summer when the weather is nice, I'm not sure if I'll feel more anxious or how I'll really feel. Um, it's kind of a, a work in progress. I also have to see if my balance is good enough to I was yeah, yeah. Uh, joking with my friend. I might need some adult training wheels for a while. So <laughs> we'll see. I think like, again, it was something that I really enjoyed doing before. Um, it might be something that I have to adapt or it might be something that I have have to work through. But um, I haven't really, because we're in the, in the depths of winter here, I haven't um, crossed that bridge yet. But I, I hope to be able to 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 do it in some kind of capacity because um it's a fun activity. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. No, that's awesome. We'll see. We will see. That's um, awesome. But yeah, it's another one of those just like, you know, there's uncertainty around kind of that and I'll have to cross the bridge when I get to it and it'll just be another kind of piece of the rehab and recovery journey long term. So yeah. It's hard to believe that it's only been seven months. Like in the grand scheme of things, that's not a very long period of time at all. So no, it's I'm really incredible. lucky to be where I am. And, you know, there's definitely been ups and downs. I have not been positive all the time. I've <laughs> I've had my moments where I've been 
upset or just feeling down or just, you know, hurting and stuff like that. But, um, I think like the, the majority of the time I try to be as optimistic as I can be. So, well, from a complete outsider's perspective, I think it's just phenomenal to go from, you know, where you were to (laughs) even talking to you here and sort of watching little snippets of your journey as you you post them online and and see your your Instagram stories and that kind of thing it's yeah it's it's mind blowing to me cuz i i can still remember when i first saw the message that you'd put up about the accident and i was like holy crap like yeah and then well and you know the more i think about it the more i think that having the background of being an ot has been really helpful because you know, I knew the possibilities that existed. Um, I knew that, you know, as long as I was alive, there would be options of things and I would kind of figure out a way around it. Like there would always be ways to adapt things. And, you know, maybe I would have, I probably would have been, had a different emotions, you know, given a different outcome but I think like having the knowledge that I have of like you know I'm alive and my body is is mostly working and the parts that aren't we can kind of figure a way around it um having that that uh knowledge base as an OT I think let me be optimistic because I knew that there were possibilities if I hadn't had that knowledge of like oh, you know, there's these different adaptive aids that can be helpful for you at home. Or like you can participate in the sports that you used to. You might just um, have to play like wheelchair basketball instead of, you know, standing and running basketball. Um, Like those are things that I knew were possibilities. So I think that maybe let me be a little bit more optimistic than if I didn't know that all of those things existed. Yeah, for real. So... But yeah, I'm also speaking from, you know, a place of where I've recovered if I'm in a different situation, who knows, but I think it was helpful at least a little bit. (laughs) Oh, no, no doubt. And I think even if you like look at people we work with, a lot of the time there's that anxiety and uncertainty because they just don't know what the possibilities are. So even just eliminating that mm. is a is a big thing for anyone going through any kind yeah. of recovery. For sure. For sure. But um yeah, no, it's been it's been awesome chatting with you and I'm hoping I'm hoping maybe next year we'll see. My plan hopefully is to make it up to is it up, down, down to Australia? We're we down are down, Australia? yes. Southern down hemisphere. Under. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So down to you guys at some point in the next year or two. So definitely, we'll have to uh, connect in real life. Definitely, <laughs> not just on the the Twitter and the uh, the Instagram. <laughs> That's it on the uh, on the socials. On the socials, yeah. But yeah, yeah, come out. Just remember, if it's cold there, it's gonna be hot yeah. here. Yeah, and like I just want to thank you for allowing me to be featured on your podcast. I think. <laughs> um, it's something I've always loved connecting with other therapists and just building the community of people I know. Um, I've had some younger friends who have become OTs who I get get together with. And um, 
I think it's just, yeah, it's really awesome to be able to learn from each other and share experiences and uh, hear about what everyone is doing all over the world. 100% and the pleasure is absolutely all mine and thank you for, for yeah. coming on and, and being so open and honest with, you know, something that mm-hmm. is and a very life-changing event that you've, that you've been through and you're coming out the other side of. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> it certainly looks like it and certainly <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. So if people wanted to tweet you or something like that, what's your, your Twitter handle? Oh, um, I don't have Twitter anymore, but I have Instagram. Okay. My, my Instagram. Your Instagram is mjoyharris. Yeah, that's my Instagram. You can also look me up on the Key Creative website, qicreative.com. Yeah, and then my email is Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N, letter or number two, at ualberta.ca, U-A-L-B-E-R-T-A dot C-A. Uh, yeah, if anyone had any questions or comments or whatever, they can... Give me a follow. See the beautiful blue brace on your Instagram so you can oh, yeah. see the, the epic colors that you were you apparently yeah. chose. <laughs> yes, apparently. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, so yeah, thanks. Thank yeah. you so much for, for having no a chat. Problem. It's been thanks a lot for of fun. No. And I hope you send some of your hot weather our way. You can have it. We could really use it. Spring and summer lasts a good, like, only two months. It's quite sad. I think ours is, yeah, six months of summer and six months of not quite as hot summer. (laughs) Why do I live up north?